Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. So this is the last week of our series on the Gospel of John, so I kind of wanted to end it the way we started it, uh, with John kind of revealing to us the purpose for which he wrote uh, his gospel in the first place. In John chapter 20, verse 31, this is the message version. John writes that Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written down so you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real and eternal life in the way he personally revealed it. So John says, the reason I wrote this gospel, and we've been reiterating this throughout as we've walked through people and instances, and even the disciples, when they kind of found their moment where they put their faith and their trust in uh, Jesus Christ. But let me put that aside for a moment, and I want to ask a question. Has anyone ever had something really, like, phenomenally crazy happen to you? In a good way, not in a bad way. <laughs> in a good way. Uh, it could have been, for example, of course, you know, husbands meeting your wife. Yeah, that was crazy, happy, good thing. Yeah. Um, moms having your kids, that was, you know, crazy. Uh, it could have been, sorry, something as simple as um, meeting, like, a famous person. I know that's not crazy happy uh, for a lot of people. But for me, depending on who the famous person is, I get, like, really excited if it's a geeky type person, and uh, when I went to Steel City Con, they had a bunch of people there, wrestlers that I liked, you know, comic book people that I liked, but the awesome thing was um, they had, uh, anyone remember the bionic woman, Lindsay Wagner? Like, wow. Now, here's the thing. Um, You can take, the picture on the left is actually her there at Steel City Con, but you can pay to get your picture taken with these people, Um, and I was sending, like, I uh, was sending you know, text to Christy's mom and dad to like, hey, do you guys remember, you know, the Bonnet woman, Lindsay Wagner? And they were like, yeah, we remember her. And they were like, can you get a picture taken to her? I think her uncle said, can you get a picture? Uh, but between myself and her mom, we came to the conclusion that it doesn't bode well to pay to take pictures with other women if you're married. It's just not a good thing to do. Uh, and you can like take pictures on your own, but it's it's kind of frowned upon because this is their way of making money. It's to pay for you to take pictures. So uh, I didn't do that. Uh, but I did kind of like, this is me. I was like, okay, I'm not going to pay to take a picture. And there was a line like from the, you know, longer than front to back of this building, like double people waiting in line for her and other people. So I kind of walked up to her because I wasn't going to pay for a picture. I didn't ask for an autograph, didn't say anything. I just she's there, yay, and then walked away, because that was my geek moment. I was like, yes, I got to stand, like, this close to the bionic woman, which if you guys don't know who she is, just go with me. It was, it was the bionic woman. It was, it was a happy moment for me. Now, here's the thing. That, for me, those type of moments, meeting those type of people, crazy, like, mind-blowing, but we're about to read And it may not be for you, but in my mind, it's a mind-blowing, crazy event because it's where Jesus shows up. Um, I mean, meeting the resurrected Jesus is one thing, right? If we were to actually, he were to show up in your life, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, amazing. To have him show up and cook you breakfast, 
mind-boggling to me, that he would show up. I mean, he's God. He's resurrected now. He's got tons of things to do to, you know, keep the universe moving. And he shows up, and he's like, you know, let's have breakfast together. And someone said, hey, we should all go to Wagner's this morning uh, before we start. But um, this is what happens. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of John, chapter 21, um, page 769. If you don't have a Bible, there might should be one under your chair to the left, to the right of you. Uh, somewhere around you, and if not, raise your hand, and uh, we'll have someone bring one to you. And in John chapter 21, now this is after his resurrection, after he's appeared to a lot of his disciples, and and your Bible might have a title, Jesus and the Miraculous Catch of Fish, because that's what most people focus on. Uh, I'm just in awe that he would show up and make breakfast for people. So verse 1, chapter 21, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel, just my mic for a minute, from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now this is, for me, this is a reminder of what the church kind of like used to be like. And, and some of you guys may remember this. I know some of the people that used to come to Beulah would probably remember this because I was looking through some of the records. And they're not at church on Sunday morning. They're not at a, a, an event for the community. They're just spending time hanging out together, just doing life together. And that's what the church used to do. It didn't used to be a Sunday morning thing you did. Uh, there was your family, you know, really important to you, and those people you cared about. There was your work, and then there was your church family that you spent time with, you did stuff with, you, you, you got together, uh, other than Sunday mornings. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. So he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, Peter would have remembered this because this is exactly what happened when Peter decided to follow Jesus as a disciple. When he called him, uh, let me put this up here on screen, in Luke chapter 5, this is what it says. When he had finished speaking, this is Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish. So uh, they had been working all night because as fishermen, they didn't go fishing during the day. They fished all night. And then in the morning, what happened was Jesus came and said, Hey, set your boat out a little bit. I want to speak to this crowd from your boat. And that's going to be kind of like the megaphone or microphone because he would go out on the water. Uh, his voice would carry and be amplified, and all the people could hear it. And then after he had finished speaking, he said, hey, why don't you throw your net over? And Peter's like, dude, I've been doing this all night long. I already let you have my boat so you could speak. But because you're the master, I'll do it. And then he caught this large amount of fish. And then this is what he would have remembered. This is the exact same thing that happened when Jesus shows up. So back to John 21, verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And I don't want to sound critical, but I've had pizza for breakfast early in the morning, you know, reheat the pizza or whatever. I'm not feeling the fish thing. And I'm like, if you're Jesus, you could have made Twinkies, bagels, fruit, anything. But I guess if, you know, if God shows up and says, eat this, you're you're probably going to eat it uh, and not complain about it. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Now, there's a lot of uh, speculation about what the number 153 means. Uh, Some people say that John just included that level of detail so that people would know this is an actual event. It wasn't just, hey, there was a large number of fish. He wanted them to know that we counted the fish and this actually happened. Some people speculate that it's because of, and and I can't verify this, I tried, but it's kind of difficult, that at that time on the planet there were 153 known nations. That could be, um, there were, uh, you know, if you think about like the American Indians when, you know, Christopher Columbus got here, they were already here, uh, but they weren't participating with the other nations on the planet, so no one knew they were here. Uh, So it's likely that there were only 153 known nations, but it also could be that God just wanted us to know that, hey, John took the time to record this miracle, and he wanted to know that, hey, there's this level of detail because this actually happened. But even with 153 fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And again, this is like a, a food network moment for me where God shows up and he's like cooking breakfast for the disciples. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to him and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, here's the thing. When God shows up, even if he serves you breakfast, it's usually not just so that you can get fed physically. It's more so so that you can get fed spiritually. I mean, they had fish. They could have eaten fish. They had anything. So uh, I want to put the rest of the verses up here on the screen because uh, there's a significant meaning to what happens next. Uh, In the next verse... John chapter 21, verse 15 is what we read. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, uh, here's the thing. He calls him Simon, son of John. Previously, he just called him Peter, except for the very first time he met him, He addressed him as Simon, son of John. I'm going to go back there for a quick minute. In John chapter 1, he says, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which then translated is Peter. And from that point on, he began to call him Peter. The reason he addresses him here, again, as Simon, son of John, is if you don't remember, uh, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter had kind of, he said, nothing's going to pull me away from you. I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times. And and Peter did. 
and he felt like he abandoned Jesus. But Jesus goes back and he addresses him again as Simon, son of John, as a way of saying, hey, regardless of what you did, I still see you now the way that I saw you then. Those mistakes that you made, uh, they don't come in and change the way that God was looking at him. And the mistakes that we make, although we have to be accountable for them, and although some of them may be, you know, tragic mistakes, but it doesn't change the way that God sees us. I had a conversation with someone online, and, and, and I was saying that, hey, even when we make mistakes, even when we mess up, God doesn't remove his love from us. He still looks at us and says, hey, I still love you, and I still care about you. And if you're still willing to move forward with me, I am always willing to move forward with you. And here's the thing, the mistakes in our past do not overwrite the potential that God sees in us for our future. Because God sees us just the way we, he did before we make the mistake, even though we, we're accountable for it, even though we may have consequences because of it. All right? Now, let me go back to this verse uh, in verse 15. Because Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And more than these is not just more than uh, the people that are here with you. It's also more than, and this could be why he counted out 153 fish. Because Peter was a businessman. His business was fishing. So the more fish, the more money, the more prosperous his business. And theologians say it wasn't just one or the other. It was love. Do you love me more than your business? Do you love me more than the people that are gathered around you and here helping you out? Do you love me more than everything else? Because that's the way that God loves us, more than everything else. And then verse 16. And I put this in the Amplified Version for a reason. Again, he said to him the second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me with reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion as one loves the Father? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you, that I have a deep, instinctive personal affection for you as for a close friend. Excuse me. He said to him, shepherd or tend my sheep. And, and here's the difference. Jesus uses each time, uh, there's a word that's called agape, and it's, it's the, the unconditional, all-encompassing love. And Jesus says, do you have that kind of agape-type love for me where you can reason in your mind beyond all reason? It's intentional. It's spiritual. It's all-encompassing. Do you have that type of love for me? And Peter says, we're friends. You're, you're in the friend zone, Jesus. And I don't think that Peter didn't have that kind of love for God. I, I, I think he did love him unconditionally, but I also think that he felt unworthy of Jesus' love. Because he did abandon him. Because he did walk away from him. Because he felt like uh, he had failed Jesus. And you don't have to raise your hands, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there have been times when we felt like, hey, God was calling us to do one thing, and maybe we chose not to do it, or maybe we felt like we failed at it, or maybe we felt like we didn't accomplish it the way that God wanted us to accomplish it. And I know the feeling of feeling like you're not measuring up to what God expects you to do, and it can be depressing and it can be overwhelming, and it can be all-encompassing, and it can make you feel like you really aren't worth God's love. But here's the thing. 
our failure to measure up to what we think God expects of us doesn't diminish the amount of love that God has for us. Even when we feel like, hey, I could do better, I should have done better, I should have done this, I shouldn't have done that, God doesn't stop loving us. He continues to love us in spite of our failure. Now, here's the thing, verse 17. He says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, he uses uh, three different phrases. The first one is, feed my lambs. The next one is, take care of my sheep. And the next one is, feed my sheep. Three different charges. It's not the same charge that he gives um, several different ways. And the first one is, uh, he says to feed my lambs. Now, the, the whole three phrases that he uses from a biblical perspective are, are the way that Jesus referred to pastoring or, or teachers or those who shepherd uh, the flock, what, what the people of God are called. And if you look in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, uh, he writes this, Jeremiah writes this, return faithless people, he's talking to Israel, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town and two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. And he's talking about, I'm going to bring Israel back together, and then I'm going to give you shepherds, what we call pastors, shepherds, people who are going to lead the flock and are going to give you knowledge and are going to give you understanding. And that's the role of a pastor. It's, it's, it's basically to equip the flock with the knowledge of God. In Isaiah verse 40, chapter 40, verse 11, rather, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Now, there is a distinct uh, a difference between um, lambs and shepherd. A lamb is a young sheep, okay? From a biblical perspective, the lambs are the young, not necessarily in age, but the inexperienced people of God, the people who don't know God, the people who are just coming to Christ or, or haven't been around, you know, the church or the Bible. Uh, and the role of the pastor is to help the lambs learn the word of God. So we're supposed to preach. We're supposed to share the word. We're supposed to uh, make sure that they understand, here's what God wants for you. Here's what it means to be a Christian. Here's why we, we, we come to church and gather. But then those lambs, they turn into sheep. Now, it doesn't mean they stop learning, but it does mean that now that they learned the Word of God, they go out and serve others because of what they learned from the Word of God. That, that's what the church is supposed to do. Once we come in and we know and we learn more about God, then we go out uh, and we share with others because of the Word of God. Here's what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, and he, meaning Jesus Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, and these are the roles that God has put into the church, and also there's administrators and all these other things uh, that he talks about and some of the other, when he talks about spiritual gifts, but these are the main roles that he put into the church, and the reason he put them there was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
what the pastor is supposed to do is, is share God's word, help people understand God's word, so they can go out and through God's word, minister to other people, share the gospel in their communities, and we keep doing this until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son and God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Basically, what that means is until we all have this fully understood knowledge of who God is. You know when that's going to happen? When Christ returns and we have a full knowledge of who God is. So you know what that means? That we're supposed to keep doing this until Christ returns. We're supposed to keep preaching the word of God, learning the word of God, using what we learn from the word of God to go out and share the word of God with others. This is the whole reason that the local church exists. The local church exists to equip Christians to share and show the love of Christ so they can go out and invite people to be recipients of the love of Christ. That's, that's the cycle. That's what we do. That's what we are uh, called to do. That's why the local church exists in every single community. doesn't matter what denomination. doesn't matter um, what they call themselves. This, if they're a church that is called by God, the ecclesia, the people called into public assembly to do God's work, this is why we're here. doesn't matter what city we're in, what country we're in, what language we do it in. This is why the church exists. We get to that point where we ask, well, so what? Why is that important to us? Um, let me do this. Let me, let me uh, share some information with you. In a couple of weeks, uh, we are going to do, as I said, our, our Beulah Baptist family reunion thing. And I was looking at their annual report, kind of the information that they would share. And this is from 1967. So this is uh, 50 years ago, all right? Uh, and back on the table, there's, I think, 64, 65, and 66, and I'll put this back there in 67. But here's the interesting thing. If you look through this, and if you look through the other things, and I was looking at, you know, not, not a comparison, because we're obviously totally different, not necessarily cultures, but the way we do things and all that kind of stuff, but I was looking at what they did versus the kind of things that we do. Uh, and here's what I found. In 1960, at least in their annual report, uh, Every single month, every single month, they had some type of community or congregational gathering. Every single month, there was either uh, where they gathered with other congregations to do something for prayer or for fellowship or for some community event, or they gathered here in this building for prayer or for fellowship or to do some kind of community event. I was like, wow, that's amazing because uh, typically, we don't do it every single month. But we are consistently, if you guys are listening, telling you, hey, we're doing this this month with, with, with this congregation. We have a prayer thing going. We have a praise and worship thing going. Or we're gathering here for food and fellowship because, you know, food and fellowship is throughout the Bible. And then I looked at uh, the other thing they have is they consistently invited friends and family. Now, um, they had like hundreds of people. And I think, I can't remember if they had finished that part of the building, and they were still meeting in this, and that was the front of the building, and that was the main entrance, and people were seated, pews going this way. Um, but as I looked at there, they kept a specific membership role, and for every person that left either died or moved away or just stopped coming, uh, they had invited someone else. There was almost a one for, like, one for two almost in some, uh, some cases where they were consistently just inviting people. And, and I can remember when I got here, 
someone was telling me that, you know, um, and I saw this when I looked at the names, that at this church, there were, it was just basically several families that came. Because I looked through, you know, looked through the roles, and they're they're all Magrus, or they're all this, or they're all that, or they're all this. And uh, even though there were a couple hundred people, there were only like ten or twelve different family names, and they were saying that's a bad thing. And I was like, I don't understand. That's a good thing, because that's the way the church is supposed to work. In every community, there's a local congregation, and if I'm going there and I'm learning from God's word, then I go back and I invite my family and friends, and if they live in this community, they're going to come, and they're going to invite their family and friends. And then when something is done to reach out to the community or to meet the needs in the community, I'm going to show up because it's the community in which I live. And there's nothing wrong if I'm traveling, you know, 10 miles or 15 miles to go to another church because I like the music or the preaching, but when they do something to reach that community... Normally what happens is people say, oh, I don't live in that community, so I'm not going to go to that event. So it does become a Sunday morning experience. But when you're a part of the community that they're reaching out to, and you're inviting your family and friends, and, and at that time, I guess, uh, you know, there weren't like all the development that's going up on the end of Ridge Road towards Gill Hall. There were only so many families that lived in the area, and so they would invite their families and friends and so the church was made up of only, you know, so many families that lived in this community. But then you look at the church over on Gilhall, and that church was made up of the families that lived in that community and the churches. Uh, and that, that's the way God designed it. If you look through the book of Acts, if you look through the first letters, Paul would write to specific churches, and they would have gatherings in their communities but then every now and then they'd come together as the body of Christ in full to worship or to pray or for fellowship. And then I looked at this, uh, and I can't tell who we're inviting. I have no idea who we're inviting. Maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But the problem is most of us usually don't know our neighbors. And the people we work with, you know, we're all traveling 20 miles to work from here. So they live on that side of Pittsburgh. They live on the north side. They live on the south side. So you don't live with them. And that's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the culture that we live in. So we don't get that advantage of hanging out and spending time with those people that live around us because we don't work with them. Our kids may go to school together with them, but we don't get to see them to say, hey, come check out our church. Now, this one I found interesting, and uh, let, me, let me explain it so no one feels like I'm trying to guilt anyone into anything. Uh, but in 1967, the congregation tithed 19%. Now, let me explain that. I don't know how much each individual tithed. I have no idea. But the congregation as a whole, they said, here's how much money we have, and they gave about 19% away to other organizations, to other needs, to support missionaries. Now, for local churches as a whole, how much do you think the average is, just the average for local churches nationwide that local churches give away? Anyone just take a guess? 5%? Lower. Yeah, it's about 2%. For individuals, it's gone up to 3 to, I think it's 3 to 5 now, or that's as of, I think, 2015. Individuals were giving 3 to 5%. But for the congregation as a whole to give money away, to support other venues, to support other missionaries, to support things in the community, um, it was nowhere near 19%, like 2 to 3%. Now, here's the question. How much do you think we gave away? Just a random guess. 
please nobody say zero. Ten. Oh, close, close. Uh, we gave away 9%. I think it was like 8.78, something like some, some weird number like that, but closer to 9%, which is amazing. I mean, look around, considering the size that we are. Not that we take in a whole lot, but that if we're asking you as individuals to tithe, then we as a whole, as a congregation, should tithe. And so we, you know, we're not at the 10% yet, uh, but hopefully um, we'll get there. Now, um, we, again, uh, don't have all of the other, a lot of ministries that they do. Uh, we don't have a lot of things that they do. Um, we don't have the people and resources, which is one of the values that you have when you have a lot of people, is you can have a lot of events and you can have a lot of ministries, because if you have a ministry, and let's say if you're 300 people and only 10% of your people show up, that's a good handful of people, it's 30 people. If you're at like 20 people and 10%, that's two people, right? So uh, depending upon the size of churches, that determines the ministries they have. So I, I shared this with the board, and I'll share with you. One of the things that we should lean to, uh, and I, I'm totally effective at explaining this to you, is leaning to our strengths. And one of the strengths that we have is digital, social media, all of our online stuff. So um, when we post these messages online, even though there are not people streaming through the doors to hear these, uh, there are people that will go and look online uh, and usually... 600, we're averaging 600 downloads a month. It's not a big deal, but if that, if people are going online and pulling down these messages and they're getting blessed and they're, they're finding, you know, that God exists and they're giving their lives to Christ, praise God, then we, we should keep doing it. I mean, that's something that we should continue to do. Now, um, a couple of years ago, we were averaging two to 300. I think last year it was three to 400. Now it's averaging about 600. And when we live stream uh, over Facebook, uh, there's about 200 or so people that watch these live streams, that are watching them now. There's 600 that will go once I post these online and we'll download them from our website. Now, here's the way this works. Facebook's algorithms are weird to me. I don't fully understand them. And each week, it tells me that there's about 200 or more people that watch each week, but there's another number, it says, of people that engaged. And on a weekly basis, that tends to be that 30 to 40 or 50 people. Uh, so that's the number I'm going with. It, it says there's 200 people that watched it, but it says there's like 40 or 50 a week that engage. So uh, monthly you know, that's around 200. It's probably bigger. Here's the problem that we have. And, and, and it's not a problem. This is just the way life is. None of those people tithe. None of those people give. Uh, from what I can tell, none of those people give them out one single cent to help contribute, to pay for. You know, that's why if you're wondering why we have all the lights going on here, it's so that the stage is lit up, so when the cameras look, that's why this camera is here, so that those people can see and engage and get the message, and it, it costs time, it costs money, it costs resources to do that, and I had this conversation with someone, and I hate when people say this because the church is not a business, but when businesses do what they do, they try to do it for the lowest cost. That, that's the goal of a business because you're trying to make money. When churches do what they do, we do it no matter what the cost. 
If we have the financial resources to do it, we do it. If we don't, then we don't because we want to be good stewards of your money. And um, here's what we do. We're not going to jump into the, uh, the vote portion. We'll, we'll kind of do that next week as we begin our Sunday celebration. But here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. I'm going to ask you guys to um, stand. And as the band comes up, uh, I want to spend some time praying for us. I want to spend some time praying for all the congregations in our community, in the surrounding community, in Jefferson Hills, Pittsburgh, Mon Valley, uh, all over that. And I just want to just seek God's face so that every congregation uh, that, again, that calls themselves, calls themselves, you know, uh, the people of God, uh, would be faithful to whatever God has called them to do. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads while we continue to work out the technical details. God, we just lift up not just Beulah and Crossroads to you, but we lift up every single congregation in this community. We pray that they would diligently share and teach your word. We pray that they would diligently reach out to meet the needs of the people in the communities to which they serve. We pray that they would diligently and passionately seek after you and your will for their people. And God, we pray that you would be blessed by not only what we do, but what they do, and we pray, we pray, we pray that you would work in the hearts of all of these congregations that just as we were talking about, that periodically we would all come together, regardless of denominational affiliation, political affiliation, financial situation, we would just all come together as your people, the ecclesia, the church, and lift you up in prayer and song and just spend time in fellowship together so that those who don't know you would see that you alone are God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, God is your people. We just pray with everything that we have that we would be faithful to the call that you have put on us as a individual Christ followers, as a congregation, and as your people, that we would be diligent about learning your word so that we can go out and share your word. That we would be diligent about sharing the love of Christ with those in our circles of influence. That we would be diligent about showing the love of Christ with our words and our actions. And that we would be diligent about inviting people to be recipients of your amazing love. That they might know that there is a God who loves them, who cares for them, who gave his life for them. God, we pray that you would bless us as we go. And that as we go, that we would be a blessing to you. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Amen.